0: Psalm chapter 2, actually the second psalm, rather, Uh, we're going to read that in just a second, and we'll hear God's word. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. I want you to picture something. We're actually going to, if you, you have your Bible as well, we're going to go put your finger in Acts chapter 4 as well. We're going to kind of jump back and forth between Psalm 2 and Acts chapter 4. Let me set a scene for you. Jesus' disciples have seen him crucified by a rowdy crowd. Not only that, they have also seen, three days later, him raised. And over a period of 40 days, he appears to them in ways that really freak them out. At one point, there's a doubting disciple who basically, he says, let me put my hand in your wounds, and he says, go for it. And so we have this situation, now they have seen the risen Christ, he's ascended, and the church has been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're going around preaching the good news, right? And everything's great. Well, until the the same people that were against Jesus are now against his followers. And there is a man that's healed in the temple, and after the healing, Jesus is proclaimed by Peter. And many of the apostles are arrested and they stand trial. And they're before the same body of people that just had condemned Jesus to death. So, and the death was a, a brutal, cr- gruesome one on the cross. So they know, they have seen with their eyes what crucifixion was, and they know it could be waiting them as they stand before the same kind of tribunal, if you will, of these Jewish religious leaders, and they stand there. And they basically proclaim the gospel to them, and the Jewish leaders say, you be quiet and don't do that. And they say, hey, we can't listen to you. We've got to listen to God. Pretty gutsy, And then after they're released, in Acts chapter 4, they get together with all the other disciples and their friends, and that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 4. Hopefully the dots will connect here in a second. In Acts chapter 4, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, they basically said, hey, they told us not to preach, but we got to preach. It's not necessarily like a great message. Hey, we're going to get arrested, and they're still against us. But then what happens? A prayer meeting breaks out. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and they said, This sovereign Lord, this is God, you are in control. God, you're in control of these people who have power politically right now. God, you're in control of all of this situation. They started off with, God, you are sovereign, you are ruler, you are a king, you're in control. And then he says this, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and seas and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit this. And you know what happens? In their prayer, they quote Psalm 2. So here's what they say. This is, the, this is the, um, the Greek version of the Hebrew text we just read over here in Psalms 2. It says this, why did, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed so they quote this psalm, and then they're they going to continue to interpret it. See, here's a good rule of thumb when you're looking into the Bible. If you don't understand something, just keep reading, because the Bible helps interpret the Bible, especially if you have Old Testament passage, and there's a lot of them that make you do a head-scratcher. You know what I'm talking about, like a real head-scratcher, like, you know, when you're really head-scratching. If you get to the New Testament, find out if the New Testament writers mention it, because then the cobwebs start to clear. The light enters the room, and you're like, oh. And so there's a question that he quotes it, and then he goes on. In their prayer, they said, God, we, you're sovereign, you're in control. And we remember what David said on the inspiration of the Spirit. And he, he said, why do these people rage, and why do they plot against God? And in verse 27 it says, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. All of the 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 Gentile world, the nations, were set up against Jesus, and so was Pontius Pilate, who that that's Pontius Pilate. So were the Jewish religious leaders and all the the Pharisees and Sanhedrin. They were all against Jesus and were there for his crucifixion. And then it says in verse twenty-eight, they did. They were there in Jerusalem to crucify Jesus to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. I want you to know something. In a world that is topsy-turvy, in a world that is increasingly complex with its problems, in a world that is ever-depressing when you turn on the news to see, with kidnappings and murders, and all of the stuff you see that makes you want to talk, talk together, say, what is going on in the world? There is a sovereign hand that guides it all. And this passage of scripture in Acts and really Psalm two we'll focus on today, it ponders a question: God, where are you when when the nations and the kings of the world rage against you? Where are you? And the confidence is in the fact that God is in control. So I want to give you one truth this morning, and then I want to give you two ramifications of that truth. Okay, you follow me? One truth, not too hard. I know it's a weekend, a 4th of July weekend, all right? So I'm not going to give you, this is not super complex, okay? I know we're going to be jumping back and forth a little bit. Bear with me. Hang in there. Okay, this is going to be worth your while if you can hang one truth, two results. One truth, two results. Not too bad, right? Three things. One truth, two results. Okay. All right. Now, one, here's the truth. Let me give it to you. Don't be surprised or alarmed by rebellion against God. Let me say that again. Don't be surprised or alarmed about by rebellion against God. It's normal and it will fail. Okay? I'm in a restaurant the other day and it was one of those restaurants that's got TVs everywhere. And you've probably been to one of those before. And so they had sports going on and now like there's just weird sports on, okay? I think darts was even on. If you have time to watch darts you need a hobby or something like a job, okay, but people watch that, okay? So darts was on and then in the back corner was the hostage situation going on in Bangladesh. And most of us had to, like, get Google Maps out. Bangladesh is where, okay? And we had to figure out where it was, if you're like me, all right? Okay, well, now I got it. And there was just all these things going on in the news, and people began, you hear the little conversations. Oh, man, I can't believe it's happening again, another terrorist thing. What are we going to do? I mean, it just, it just just the conversation starts, just go back and forth. And I want you to know something. A lot of times, if you're a, if you're a pastor, if you're a believer in Jesus, there, people are going to come to you and be like, what's the deal? And first off... Th- turmoil in the world we act like it's never happened before pump the brakes it's been going on since mankind rebelled against God the first time it's nothing new but we always act like oh no again I nothing this bad has ever happened Mm. you go watch a world war ii documentary that was pretty bad Okay, go think about history and all the things that have taken place. The fall of the giant empire that ruled most of the world, Rome, happened. Okay, that happened in about 300 AD. There's continual things that happen that are bad, and here we go in Psalm chapter two, which we understand by the from this from Acts chapter four was written by David, who has been appointed king. He asked this question, a question about. Why do people rage? He's really thinking about the people that are coming against him as God's king, and he's also thinking about how the people reject God. Now, it's noticed here that he, he starts off with this question, and it says this, "'Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain?' Then it says, "The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us." Implicit in this question is the fact that people that are going to continually rebel against God's not just nations, but individuals will continually rebel against God. If you don't believe me, just let's take let's look at the context, okay? If if Acts, Acts 4 is correct, that David wrote Psalm 2. David, who was anointed king in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and had that covenant given, that his somebody would be that David would be king and every and somebody from his family will reign on the throne forever. During that time, this is when he's writing this, several several thousand years really, before Jesus would be on the picture, or at least a thousand. He is having problems with people trying to go against God and his elect, God and his chosen one. So it's happened in David's time. Let's look at another thing. When we see this, that that when the psalm is quoted in Acts chapter 4, right, what has just happened to the, what are they talking about? Jesus had been, he's the anointed one of God. He really sits on the throne of David. He is the fulfillment. He's the king that comes from David. He is treated unfairly and killed by people raging against God and his anointed. Third thing, I want you to see this, the the apostles who are following Jesus, who are God's people, they're being persecuted because when Acts chapter four happens, they have just come out of a place where they were told, they were arrested and told don't preach in Jesus' name and many of them will die for the faith. So you see this pattern? People do not like the rule and reign of God. They never have, and they won't until he crushes all rebellion. And he is writing this psalm saying, why do they do this? There's an assumption there that people continually raise and counsel and go against God. Whether it be governments or individuals, we do not like in our fallen human nature anyone or God himself to reign over us. This is evidenced by many, many different things, but let me give you one clear evidence that we don't like people to reign over us. It kind of, verse three talks about it. Why are these kings plotting against, against God? In verse three, it says, they want, let us, this is what the kings are saying, against God and his anointed king, it says this, let us burst the bonds apart and cast away their courts from us. They don't like the, the bondage, quote unquote, or the constraints that having a God who has law and a moral standard puts upon them. We live in a society of choice. Let me give you an example of that. Go to Subway. You will smell like Subway for the rest of the year if you go into Subway. But what's the deal at Subway? You can put whatever you want on your sandwich. Okay? You can even go, like, way above and beyond. You may have to pay extra for it. But you can put whatever you want on your sandwich. We've had a, a popular... Or a, Formerly popular burger chain, Burger King, who their slogan for many years was, do you guys remember it? Have it your way. And we like that, to have it our way. We, and, and as, maybe you don't personally, but culturally, we like buffet restaurants, okay? You see Jeff Foxworthy, Fourth of July's coming up, but Jeff Foxworthy's been on television like, come to Golden Corral! And I'm like, no, Okay? What is it about it? You can have shrimp and ice cream and prime rib on top of your mac and cheese and just, okay, if that's what you want. We do not, and it expresses, we like this freedom of choice all around. And if there are moral laws, then there has to be a moral lawgiver. And the nations have always raged against God, both governments And people, because we know if He is sovereign, Lord, and Creator, that we have to obey Him, but we don't want to. It's something about us. Just have somebody come into your office and start making regulations about things. Even if they're gonna make things better, we buck them. How many of you love Memo Day? Here you go, do this now. Yay, more rules thank you for making our life that much more fun. No, we, do not, we buck against that. This on a small scale, but on a larger scale, the anointed of God, this one who God has called out and made a covenant with David, who's writing this psalm, is asking, why do the people rage against God and God's anointed one? Now, we know there's two, there's, there's two levels on this, of this passage. We understand it because the the New Testament helps us understand it. On one sense, this is about David written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As the king of God, the one chosen by God to be king, it's about him. But the heightened language and the New Testament tells us that he's not writing just about himself, but he's writing about the one who's going to be on his throne forever. See, God made a promise to David and said, David, because you're a man after God's own heart and because I have set my affection on you, you're going to be king. And someone from your line or your lineage will be on the throne forever most of david's sons and relatives were slackers and screwed up read the bible first and second kings first and second chronicles they were a mess and eventually their sin led to captivity but there was one who came who was the th- on the who was a son of david who was the rightful king who was jesus the christ the god man and so this here, when we see Psalm 2, it is a it's about David, but it's also about the greater David, who is Jesus. And there is constantly rebellion going on. So I want you to know something. Don't be surprised or alarmed about rebellion against God. It's normal. I'm not saying by normal it's good. I don't know why we decide that normal is good, okay? But here in this situation, normal is not good, normal is just what happens, okay? How many of you, if you get something on your back, okay, like you, you're going out, you're going to get in the pool here shortly because it's like a 1,000 degrees, and you have your, your, your loved one maybe put some, some suntan lotion on your back, and you see something weird, or they see something weird, it'd be weird, hard for you to see that, okay, but they see something weird, and they're like, you got a little protrusion on your back, What's going to be your first question? Is it normal? And if it's just like a freckle or a pimple, that's normal, right? And you're not going to run to the dermatologist or the oncologist and be like, help me. But if that thing's talking to you or it's like, I mean, it's, or glowing or whatever, you're going to go to the doctor. Why? That ain't normal. That's that is the kind of alarm that's raised when we don't understand the world through a biblical lens. When That's why so many who don't have a biblical worldview get so up in the air and, and so worked up about what's happening in the world. And I'm not saying you shouldn't cry or even be concerned about the things you see on TV. I am, I am wanting you to see this, that this, the people and governments raging against God and sin reigning, Raging against God can be directly, like say, God, we don't like you, or it can be indirectly, like God, we don't like your moral law and your moral code and the way you set things up. This is not new. It happened in the time of David, it happened to Jesus, happened to the apostles, and it happens to the people of God forever. And Jesus, or and John would say in, in 1 John 3:13, do not be surprised, brothers. That the world hates you. It's guilt and hate by association. We are with God the Father, His anointed one, Jesus, and we are in them. Therefore, the world hates us. So don't be surprised. By that, when you know it's normal, you don't fly off the handle. When you know it's just a pimple, you wait for it to run its course. If you know it's just a freckle, you, and maybe if it, even if it looks a little funky, you wait and you don't run to the dermatologist right away. You keep an eye on it. So here's what I want you to get and understand. That don't be surprised or alarmed by rebellion against God, whether on a national level or on an individual level. It is not right, but it is normal. Secondly, just know this. The rebellion against God that we see here, this conspiring in verse three, what they really want to do is they want to burst the bonds and cast away the cords that God's law and His person put on them. This is a natural thing. Our bent to not be under God our, our, our want not to be under God's law is something that is, is is deeply crooked and broken in all of us, and everybody has that. It is not, it's normal in the sense that it happens, and it's normal in the sense that we all want to disobey God by nature. But praise be to God that he comes to us and he approaches us when we're at that point where we don't like the things of God, where we don't want to obey the things of God, and he comes and he shows us the truth of God, and he changes our hearts. Not to ones that it's always easy to, not, not always easy to, to obey, but now that obeying is actually possible and even palatable. You know, I had um, a while back. I I decided I needed to eat vegetables. I do eat vegetables. I a lot of them, tried to eat a lot of them now. But there was a time where vegetable was a potato. Okay, and I guess that still is. Like, I don't know why I said it potato. I'm, I apologize for that. But if, if that was like maybe a green pea, a green bean, if you put like ham on top of it, okay. It, it was not palatable for me to eat that. But then I realized something like I'm getting older, I have a kid, I should probably eat vegetables, okay, to help me out. And plus, I'm gonna be like, You eat your vegetables. And he's gonna be like, You're a hypocrite. And I'd be like, You're grounded. But yes, that's true, okay, that's what would have happened, all right? But you get to this point where that I decide I'm just gonna eat this stuff until it becomes palatable. Praise be to God that what happens in him, he makes the things that we don't like obeying him to be something that becomes palatable through his grace. It comes through warnings. In, this, in the Psalms, it comes through all these different ways and avenues, but God works through his word, through his spirit, even through his people to show us the truths of God. And what was so foreign is now becomes palatable to us. And so know this, that sin and rebellion against God is normal. So you have permission not to freak out when the next thing that CNN or Fox News sensationalizes. It's bad. Pray for it, but you do not have to think the world is coming to an end. It actually is coming to an end, but you know the one who wrote the story. So don't be surprised. It's normal. And I want you to know something. Finally, not not only don't be surprised about rebellion against God. It's normal so you don't freak out, but also it will fail. All rebellion against God will fail. Look with me in verse 4 talking about the nations, Psalm says, why do they why do they plot against against God? Why do they rise up? They want to break these bonds. Verse 4 has God sitting in the heaven laughing. Verse 4 says, "He who sits in heaven laughs." And then it says, "The Lord holds them in derision," which basically means he holds their idea in contempt. It's kind of like it's like a toddler trying to beat up an nfl player but on an even grander scale all of the power of this world's elite all of the military might all of all of the sovereign or the quote unquote sovereignty of these kings and rulers god laughs at <laughs> you think you you got something this big nation, God says, oh, yeah, I'm really worried about it. The next time that you feel like the world is falling apart and you feel like people are going against the things of God, whether directly or indirectly, whether Supreme Court ruling or, or ISIS attack on whatever, I want you just to know something. God laughs at feeble attempts to overthrow him and to rebel against him. He just says, <laughs> did you see that? I mean, it's kind of like like me going to play basketball against LeBron James. Okay, oh, okay. I got my, I got. I'm trying to cross him up, and I go up and I try to put the layup and smack, and then oh, he would be all up in my grill. Okay, he have to bend seven foot and then be in my grill. That is how. That is how small and insignificant human plans are. Even the greatest armies, the biggest people in the world. It's nothing compared to God's power and his sovereignty. He laughs at the plans that go against him. Then in verse 5, it says, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying this. You know what? A lot of times we get, we, we forget that God is, is terrifying. Did we get something out there? Oh, was that the was it a wasp? God bless you guys for hanging in there. All right, good job out there. We well, got any epipens? Anybody? I hope you're okay. I'm not making fun of anaphylactic shock. That's bad. Okay. <laughs> nice kill. By the way, you get a, you get a gold star. <laughs> I, I want you to think about this. We don't. It's not popular to think of God as terrifying. But just because God is terrifying and holy doesn't mean He's not loving and full of grace. It's in fact, the fact of God's wrath and anger and the fact that He's amazingly majestic and holy and terrifying, it makes His grace and love all the more amazing. And so here's the thing. God's laughing at the plans of these people, of nations and, and other people to rebel against Him. He's laughing here, and then he, then in verse five, it says, "He will speak to them in His wrath." He's talking out of anger, and he will terrify them with his fury. And this is what he says. And you would think he would be like, I'm going to come, and I'm going to smack you down with lightning and thunder and storms. But it's actually through a promise that he terrifies them. Look in verse 6. It says this. As for me, I have set my king on Zion on my holy hill. God's saying, you kings out there who think that you are sovereign, I have already established my king On Mount Zion. Verse 7, it says this I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces with a potter's vessel. Basically he's saying this and this this actual part of the song will be quoted in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5 about Jesus and it's this God answers and terrifies the people who are going against him with this promise that I will put a king forever on the throne of Israel and he will reign forever And he will control the nations, he will rule with a rod of iron, his reign will be absolute. This reign, from the time of David to when Jesus showed up, it took a long time. And then now that Jesus is here, and he is ruling and reigning as the ascended king at the right hand of Jesus, that's who this psalm is pointing to. We're still waiting for him to exact his role and his reign completely. It's not there yet because this world's still messed up and there's still foreign powers and there's still people raging against God. It's no longer, he's not completely, completely put all this to, to bed yet. However, the promises of God that makes him laugh at people rebelling against him are seen in Jesus to be fulfilled. Let me put it this way. In Acts chapter four, when those guys get together and they quote Psalm two in their prayer, they said, we know that the Jews under King Herod Antipas and Pilate, the Gentiles under the Roman government, they conspired together to to take Jesus out. But in verse 28, it says, they actually did whatever God's sovereign hand and plan predestined to take place. The thing that terrifies the people is that God has ordained and established a king to reign forever. It's Christ. And he will keep his promises. And no attempt to snuff it out will ever be successful. In fact, in the very attempt to snuff out the ministry of Jesus, the very people that wanted to kill him, crucified him, and, and and basically facilitated the atonement, facilitated the covering of sin. They were acting in their own will to try to, do, to go against God and to kill God's person, Jesus, his anointed one, and in so doing, they were actually fulfilling the appointed plan of God. And if that, that horrible sin there that they committed was ordained and orchestrated, not that God would sin, but that God was working his plan even in spite of sin. If that was happening there, what could, what could thwart the plans of God? Nothing. It's happening according to plan. This insane election here in this country is happening according to plan. It might be for our judgment. It probably is. They're, all things are happening according to the counsel of his will and for the glory of his name and for the, his anointed one. I want you to just, it's okay to not be alarmed. I'm not saying don't, not to be disinterested. But what I am saying is don't be surprised by rebellion we alarmed by it against God. It's normal, and it will fail. God laughs at it. Even our best attempts to thwart the plans of God, God works in them to accomplish his purposes. He did it in Christ. He continues to do it, because as the disciples are persecuted, their message goes on and on. And in fact, Christianity is so different than so many other religions, especially it's different than Islam. In Islam, the prophet Muhammad, the quote-unquote prophet Muhammad, when he, how he spread Islam historically has been through military might and conquest. Jesus, what did he do? He told Peter to put away his sword. And how has the reign of God been moved throughout the world? It has come through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, him humbling himself to the point of death. Bearing sin, raised, being raised again, and then calling his disciples to continually go out and die. Continually dying for other people. And there is a weight that we would give up our lives so that other people might know the God that we know. It's a wild thing that in, in all situations, God is sovereign over it all. You don't have to be alarmed at people's rebellion. You don't have to be alarmed at nation's rebellion. It doesn't mean you're unconcerned. Let me say that again. But you don't have to be just out of sorts about it. It's normal, and it will fail. Our God laughs at it. Secondly, this is this is here's, so we got one truth, right? I told you that one truth and then two therefores, okay one truth and two results. The first truth is we just talked about it don't be surprised or alarmed by rebellion against God it's normal, and it will fail. but here are here are the two principles or resulting things that come out of this truth and this is this, the first one is this: therefore, we proclaim and contend for our faith in confidence and not desperation. Let me say that again because God's not gonna fail because his plan will happen because all rebellion against God will be squashed. We've seen it historically. We've seen it in the fulfillment of Christ. We know that God's plan will take place. It's normal so we don't freak out and, it, and it will not, it will not, uh, God will not fail. Now, we also know this. Because of all that, we are called to proclaim and contend for our faith in confidence and not desperation. We, we, we speak about our faith in confidence. We contend for our faith in the marketplace of ideas in confidence and not in desperation. And this changes things. Because have you ever talked to somebody who's a little bit over-defensive about something? You, like, question them one time about anything, and they give it to you. They give you the business. you ever met anybody like that? It's like talking to a teenager when you're asking like they came in late on curfew. Where have you been? None of your business. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you. Okay. Okay. Or like they tell you, uh, like they tell you a story. Like, hey, where were you? You're like, I was with my friend. His name was Johnny. Oh yeah, I've not met Johnny. So what did his parents do? Pharmacist. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, what what pharmacy? I don't talk about this. We act like that anytime someone questions our faith, it seems that we do. Go on social media. Now, that's not the best place for arguments, just FYI, okay? Facebook, Twitter, you know, whatever is not the best place for arguments, just, just, just free, it doesn't cost you anything. I can't like give you chapter and verse on that, okay? But that's just a free one there. But if you notice something, we Christians, we seem over defensive about everything. When it comes to creation, when it comes to when it comes to uh, our beliefs about sexuality, especially now in the when the marketplace of ideas saying any if you don't think everything goes, then you're out. And our beliefs about gender, that there are to God actually made gender roles, and, and God made man and woman equal but different and for different reasons. I'm like, this is wild stuff. In fact, uh, a f- uh, we have some family members that live in Park Slope in Brooklyn, which is a super, super left-wing um, part of the country. And there was a, a hat that got lost at a park there. The park there is really awesome called Prospect Park. And a hat was lost there. And so on the message board for all these, rel- the, all these um, uh, residents of this area, somebody put found little boy's hat you would have not believed it. I, if i if i hadn't have seen this stream on the internet i would not have believed it existed but there were people on there going how do you know it's a little boy's hat da, da, da. and the guy's like well I had a train on it well how do you know a girls i mean we've lost our minds we straight lost our minds they just, dude, just trying to help the kid receive his cat his hat again. I'd be like happy, like, oh, cool, my little boy got his train hat back, okay? If your little girl wants to wear a train hat, wear a train hat, okay? But I'm just saying, there are things that are boys and there are things that are girls. There's biological differences. We've lost our minds. We want, but it's all part of us rebelling against God, am I right? And the way he has set things up. I want you to get something. We don't have to fight with people that disagree with us as if we are defending something that's not true, we fight from confidence. There is not one thing anybody's going to say that's going to be like, oh, God never thought of that one, never thought of that one before. Better shut my Bible and forget this stuff. There's not a thing out there in the world that can do that. This is true. It's been evidenced historically. This book is historically verifiable on so many accounts it has rung true throughout the years. Do you think somebody can find something that's going to just stump the Bible? You're wrong. It has, been, it has stood the test of time. It has stood through the generations. And I want you to know something. Because God, his plans will never fail. All you are called to do is proclaim the good news of Christ and to contend for the faith once for all to deliver to the saints. You don't have to do that from fear. Because fear makes us angry. Fear makes us jump and snap at people. Fear makes us not want to engage in a conversation with people about our faith and why we believe what we believe. Fear makes us want to go out and give one little tell-off statement. Do you know what I mean by that? All of us want to do that drop the mic thing every time we have an argument, especially on that. So, well, that just means you're dumb. Boop, drop the mic. Well, you just don't believe the Bible. Drop the mic. We don't want to have a conversation. We should be people that have conversation because our truth will stand the test of time. It has. It will. God laughs at every plan, every plan of a scientist, every plan of a nation, every plan of a philosopher, every plan of a culture warrior that goes against him. It will fail. So we do not have to fight in desperation trying to defend God. Did you hear what I just said? Defend God. We live like we have to defend God. God does not need you to defend him. He is your defender. Does that mean you just be quiet and just let it all happen? No. You proclaim the truth in confidence. You speak and you engage in conversation with people with the good news and the Gospels, and, and any, any question you give, like, like Peter said, you give a reason for the hope that's within you, but you don't have to do this like, if I don't defend the faith here, it's all gonna fall apart. He's got it. So you don't have to be angry. You don't even have to get upset if someone slams you, and, and you totally like, lose the argument. The hope of Christianity is not dependent on if you can win an internet argument with somebody. It's truly not. The psalmist right here, David, is writing this psalm about his election, his, his place as the anointed one. It's showing this. He's writing this, speaking in confidence. Because he is this one of those promises about, and they point forward to this other promise, and he know God, God can't fail, and he's saying these things out loud, saying, I know because of who I am that I will not be put to shame because of who I am is. Because of who God is. So don't freak out. Rebellion is normal, it's going to fail. So that means we can argue from this place of confidence. We can speak to people in confidence. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to, we can actually engage people. We don't, we can be wrong, okay? The Bible's not wrong. Our understanding may be wrong. We don't need to be ashamed of putting ourselves out there. If you think about it, what are the two number one things that keep us from sharing our faith? I don't know enough, and I'm afraid I'm going to, and it's related to that, I'm afraid I'm going to be rejected because I don't know enough. Somebody's going to bring up something. I want you to know something. It is is not your job to defend God your job is to proclaim him contend for it but he's got this just tell it and it just frees us up from having to be jerks cuz we don't have to we don't have to win every argument even if you did win an argument do you think that person would come to faith in Christ when was the last time you had a debate? I mean, there's there's some guys out there who can s- certainly, and I'm not saying you didn't. S- you should study all this stuff. It'll help you get, like, have a reasoned conversation. There's a guy like Ravi Zacharias who's out there. He goes on campuses of the most um, atheistic schools in the world, some of the most brilliant minds in the world. He goes on campuses at Harvard, Yale, St. Andrews University, all over the place, and he defends the faith. He defends Christianity from a philosophical standpoint. He is awesome. You want to listen to him using like mind, like blowed, okay? You know, like brain using out the ears. He's, he's good. He's awesome. I recommend you listen to him but i've never seen at the end of one of his crusades a whole bunch of atheist people because he he's good i've never heard a bunch of my like stand up oh that's it not atheist gonna convert to christianity because he beat me intellectually it's the spirit of god that converts people through the gospel should we give a hope should we know a reason there is no excuse for the people of god to be ignorant He's given us his words, and he's given us great teachers, and we have access to more teaching than any, and good, more good teaching than any other people in the face of the planet. I want you to know something. In this country, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a missionary in Costa Rica the other day. In this country, we have one educated pastor, trained pastor for every 260-some-odd people in the United States. That's a lot. In the rest of the world, one trained pastor for 400,000 people. Not only that, if you did not like this sermon, you can go home and podcast another one. That, probably better, all right? Matt Chandler, boom, okay? Some of you wrote, listen to Ravi Zacharias after this, Make Brain Melt, okay? You can go home and listen to that. We have no excuse to be ignorant, and we have no excuse to be mean. We fight from the confidence that our God's got this, Every plan that has gone against him has failed. It's been evident in the psalm. It's been evident in Christ. It's been evident in the apostles. And it is evident that we will never, never be conquered. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have overcome the world. And this is what overcomes the world our faith. It's not that you're good at your argument, not that you know enough. What overcomes the world? Our faith. Truth has a weightiness to it because of the weight of its own reality. So you don't have to defend God. He defends you. The, the second truth, and the final one we're going to look at today, happens in verse 10 through 12. And it's this, because God will not fail, and no, nothing against him will ever triumph, that he will win. Because of that, we proclaim and contend for our faith and confidence, not desperation. Secondly is this, and finally is this, therefore we do not give up because there is hope in the most hopeless of situations. Look with me in verse 10. Now, therefore, therefore indicating that all of that's happened in this passage of Scripture in Psalm 2 has led to this point because the nations rage and because God laughs at the nations raging, and he has set his Messiah who will rule and reign over them because God will not fail. Therefore, O kings, it's a direct reference to the one who who were raging against him in the first couple of verses. Therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are all who take refuge in him. I want you to know something. This is saying, because God's plan will never fail, and because, kings, all you're trying and you're meditating and you're going against him will fail, because you're coming towards judgment, you should turn and trust in this God who you once rejected. So he's saying, basically, this is actually a call to repent, And I want you to know there's four things I want you to understand what's involved in repenting. And if we understand the word repent, that sounds like a very biblical word. It is a very biblical word, but we haven't used it a lot, okay? Probably you didn't use it this week. If you yelled repent at somebody, you probably had a bad week, okay? Repent, okay? You might say that's your kids. I don't know. But repent basically means you're going this one direction. In this context, it means you were rebelling against God. You're trying to throw off his shackles, okay? He's telling the kings of the earth to turn and not just to do that, but to hear God's warning. Repentance begins with the warning of God. The warnings of God in the Bible are good. We should never try to sugarcoat them. I was driving. I've probably told you this story before, but I was driving. Um, in in central Florida with my wife. And sure enough, I saw this billboard that made me want to pull my car over and go punch somebody, okay? And it was this. God's not mad at you. On surface level, all of us are like, I'm glad. I mean, like, we want. That's not theologically accurate, though. God is extremely mad at you and rightfully so, because of your deeds. Because we all rebel, we're all like these wicked kings who plot against him and have gone our own way. In fact, he's literally mad and not being saved to be, to be crass, I've said it before, he's mad as hell at you. Like literally. Like the wrath of God eternally is focused on all who sinned and have not, have not been covered by something, but here's the good news. That warning points us to the hope that's in Jesus that he bore the wrath of God so that his anger is true and on us. But if we're in Christ, all of that anger has been taken care of. So he, he was mad, but now his anger's been appeased and now you can have relationship with him. So the warnings of God in scripture should not be glossed over. And if you find a pastor somewhere who's glossing over the judgment of God in the Bible, they're, they're being disingenuous and they're keeping you from the gospel. Because you don't need to be told you're good, because you're not. I don't need to be up here thinking, and you think that I'm good. I'm not. I have just been redeemed by Jesus. And anything good that's in me and anything good that's in you is not from you, but it's from another source. It's from Him. And that's why this warning comes to us to say, hey, oh, kings, you need to be wise and be warned. First part of repentance is you heed. You listen to the warnings of God. In fact, go on and look at verse 12. It says this, kiss the son, which kind of like basically means submit to him, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for the wrath. For his wrath is quickly kindled. There is an invitation here in this, therefore, that you are being foolish in your rebellion against God. You come back, listen to his warnings. They are true. Secondly, it says that a repentance, or turning, not only involves hearing the warnings, but it also involves turning from foolishness to wisdom. Look with me. Where'd you get that? It's in the Bible. It says this in verse 10. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. You were being foolish. Now be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Listen to the warnings. They're true. Verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Before, the kings did not ref- they did not tremble at Jesus. They went against or against God's anointed. They did not tremble against God. They did not fear him. They raged against him. But here's to, the, the psalmist at this point is calling them, you will be judged. You're going to be destroyed. So come and fear the Lord. Listen to him. There's a change in the way you look at God. Not, only do you want, not anymore do you want to rebel against him, but now you want to serve him and you want to fear him rightly, and you want to know him. Thirdly, it says just in this, the verse 12, it says, kiss the son. This is, this, is, this is really neat. Kiss the son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. This is the idea of bowing. The idea of a kiss here is giving submission. It's almost like you know, you've seen maybe a movie where someone comes and kisses the hand of the king. That's what we kind of have this idea here of, listen, while there is still time, O kings of the earth, all you political powers and all you individuals, while there's still time, come and submit yourself to the rule and reign of God, lest he be angry submit that means he's the boss that means what he says goes it means his word is truth that means your opinions don't longer matter if they contradict his word it means you're p- placing yourself under full submission to this king now here's the good news there's been a lot of bad kings there's been a lot of bad politicians there's been a lot of bad rulers but God ain't one of them and he says come submit to me and then finally this is this st- look at look at this last one blessed are those who take refuge in him. That means happy are those who take refuge in him. I was around a brand of Christianity, quote unquote, for some time that made me think that Christianity had a lot to do with being angry at people and a lot to do with with snarling. And a lot to do with self-righteousness. A lot doing. Like, Did you see what they were wearing? Do you see this? And do you know what they're doing? Everything, everything revolved around legalism and scowls. And I knew nothing of the joy of the Lord for some time until I met Him. And what the world's selling is happiness is not happiness. It's just a momentary pleasure that passes and leaves us empty. But as we looked at last week and looked this week, in God and taking refuge in Jesus and realizing you have nothing to bring, when you come to him, when you take refuge in God and his Christ, when you come, there is a blessedness that happens here. Knowing that you have no righteousness to bring, knowing that you have nothing to bring to the party, knowing that you come stained and filthy and deserving of judgment, but you come to a God who has, has called you to repent and has made a way for you, makes you happy. And the God of the Bible is a God of judgment, but he is a happy God. He is content in himself. He is he, content in his glory. He calls us to come and enjoy him forever. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So why do I end up, why do we end this point? We repent, it's like, there's hope in this, this sense that if you're here and you're really far away and you've been really rebelling against God, there's hope for nations that do that. If they repent and come back, and there's hope for the individual that they would see the warnings of God that, that they are under judgment and all of their striving against him is bad news and it's gonna end in judgment. There is a call back to turn from your sins and embrace this God in whom you can find immeasurable joy in and find a new way to be happy. There is a way this way. And that is good because your situation's hopeless, but there's hope. Now, I want you to also think about this. Those of us who are dealing in hopeless situations, whether that be family situations or that whether be you're praying for somebody who's not come to Christ and has been, there is still hope as long as we have breath. Th- these guys were rebelling, and they are called to hope. It can enter in the most amazing ways. I want you to know something. Um, you think about it, when God has brought religious revivals, like really big ones, it's not been when the countries were in really good spots. It's been when they were in really bad spots. For example, in 1859, in the country of Wales, and it kind of went over into Northern Ireland and Scotland, a, a mighty move of the Spirit of God happened through the preaching of God's Word. And many people who had just given up, especially on established churches— came to faith, and they would have whole towns shut down for hours at a time so people could go to Bible studies in the middle of the day and prayer meetings. Wild stuff. When the first great awakening happened in, in the United States, it was, it was not too long after the revolution, and the morals in this world, moral in this country were awful, but God sent revival through his word, through some pretty hardcore preachers by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. God used him. He, he preached a sermon you probably read in school called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, right? And what happened? People thought the floors were going to like be opened up and God was going to consume them with fire. And the guy was just basically reading the sermon, not even with any, not with a lot of inflection and emphasis, but God's spirit moved. And so here's, what am I saying is this, you may think it's hopeless for a nation. You may think it's hopeless for your family. You may think it's hopeless for this person who will not trust Christ, but I want you to know something. God has taken the most unexpected and the farthest out people and made made them his own, King David, who became king, was the last of his brothers. He was the youngest, and he was the one in the field not even considered to be king. What happened? The prophet said, go get your other son. And he comes in from tending sheep, smelling like sheep. That's a bad funk. Anoint that kid. That's who God chose. There was a guy, the apostle Paul, who would go and preach the gospel. He killed Christians. He was the farthest out, and God brought him close to be one who, through the inspiration, inspiration of the Spirit, wrote the whole New Testament. There is hope. And it's not in you being the Holy Spirit and being a jerk and trying to convict him of sins, but it is in you. Here's the hope. God can work hope through you by you proclaiming the faith, by you contending for the faith in confidence. So There is not a place too dark that light can't break in. As long as today is today and there is breath in our lungs, and we have the word and Christ tarries, there is hope in the hope, most hopeless of situations. Our divorce rate in this in this county is eighty nine percent. Our teen pregnancy rate is off the charts. There are churches everywhere, but we are one of the most unchurched counties in all of Tennessee. And sometimes we think, how?" How can how can we make a dent? How there is hope in the good news. There is hope. It doesn't matter how hopeless there is, there is hope. There's hope. This is not just fake made up hope. This is not wish I hope it happens hope. This is hope rooted in God. His plans and purposes will not fail. We do not have to defend him. He is our defender and he calls us to repent and he takes the ones who are the farthest out and can bring them the closest in. There is hope today in whatever situation you're in. There is hope as long as today is today. There is hope only in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for these folks. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that we would honor you with everything we say and do. We pray that you would help us take these words to heart. In Jesus' name, amen.